This morning's reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 29, verse 11, and chapter 30, verses 1 to 20. That's page 301 in your church Bible. That's 1 Samuel 29, verse 11, and chapter 30, 1 to 20, page 301. David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his, re- and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Anoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Amalek, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he said. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Valley, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, Who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerethites and some territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, Can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, 
plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, and it's good to be here in St. Jude's. I'm Neil, the Associate Vicar here at St. Jude's. And this morning we've got this passage that looks at a key moment in the life of David. Where will he find strength, and whose guidance will he follow? As we begin, we need to uh, set the context for this and uh, see what's happened. We remember that David is anointed by Samuel, who says that he will be king in the future. And as a young man, he goes out in front of the army and defeats Goliath. He fights in the army, becomes a great warrior, and he becomes best friends of the king's son, Jonathan. But all of this makes him a rival of the king, King Saul. And so Saul sees him as a threat. And Saul knows that his own time as king is limited. And so he tries to get rid of David. He tries to eliminate him, hunting him down and chasing him through the wilderness where he's hiding. David has tried his best. He's faithfully served his God and his king. He's honored Saul when he could have killed him. David has done nothing to make things worse. And yet... Instead of being rewarded for defeating God's enemies, David's forced to live in the caves and the desert to scrounge for supplies whenever he can. And so David sees that Saul will never stop searching for him unless he leaves Israel. And so David decides that he will go and seek sanctuary in the land of the Philistines. He goes to this town called Ziklag, in the region of Gath. And Gath is where Goliath came from. It's the very heartland of the Philistine Empire, their idolatrous empire. And David looks at this point as though he's taken a wrong turn. How could he have ended up so far from where he was meant to be? He's now in the midst of enemy territory. Yet this is where he and his men are seeking to settle down with their families. It's safe to say that David is displaced. Ziklag is in what's now southern Israel. It's not very far from Gaza. Gaza was the region where the Philistines were uh, living at that time. And in David's time, it was under the control of the king of Gath and his son, who was called Achish. And in 1 Samuel 27, we hear that when Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Finally, David looks like he's going to find some peace. Except that for him and his men, their particular skill is fighting. They're warriors. So when there comes a time that Philistine is going up to fight Israel, David offers his services, his men, to the army of the Philistines. Now that's a scenario that's a bit of a problem, isn't it? 
David is going to fight against Israel. This warrior who's been anointed the future king of Israel is going to go and take them on on the battlefield. How is God going to let that happen? And it's a bit of a worry for the Philistine commanders. So on their way up, just before this passage starts in the, 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 the reading that we had, just before it starts, the army of the Philistines are going up to Jezreel to fight against Israel, and David and his men are going with them. But the commanders of the Philistines see that David is in their midst, and he could turn in the midst of the battle to fight against them. So they come to the king and they say, you've got to send David home. The Philistines are afraid of David still, even though he says he's going to fight on their side. So instead of fighting and gaining glory, gaining some wealth through this battle, David is sent home. He's not on the team sheet. He doesn't even make the squad. That must have been pretty depressing for David. And it takes three long days to make this journey home. I wonder what was going through his mind as he made that journey with his men. He knew that Samuel had anointed him, but here he was, rejected and unwanted on the edge of the desert, with no hope of anything getting better soon. If the Philistines win the battle, then his country will be ransacked. If Saul wins the battle, then he's in an even worse position. David's got to be, at this point, both displaced and depressed. But as they near their newly settled home, this place called Ziklag, there's no one to greet them. There's no welcome party. Instead, they see smoke rising into the sky. They come over the hill, and instead of their wives and their families, they see embers and ashes of their burnt down town. The desert raiders, the Amalekites, have seen that the men have left to go and fight. And so they've chosen this mo moment of weakness to come and raid this area. They've taken everything that was precious to David. His wives, his children, his possessions, his animals. The wives and family are taken as slaves. They're not hostages. It's not like they're going to barter and bargain to get them back. They've been taken away and he will never see them unless he goes to rescue them. Life couldn't get much worse, could it? David is displaced, depressed, and now he's distressed. And unsurprisingly, those men who went with him into this forlorn hope of winning a battle against his own people, those men look for a cause for their disappointment, for their defeat. That's what we do when we lose, isn't it? We look for someone to blame. Yesterday, there was a World Cup rugby final and the captain of the New Zealanders got sent off. And he said uh, afterwards, I'm going to have to live with this red card for the rest of my life. He knows that people are going to blame him for their defeat. That's what happens when you get a defeat. You look for someone to blame and so the men decide to blame David. That's the natural thing to do. And so they decide to plan the, uh, how to kill him. They're going to stone him. David is now at the bottom of a pit that can get no deeper. He's displaced, depressed, distressed, and now he's despised. 
He's lost his identity and his purpose. He's lost his family to the raiders. And now David has lost the confidence and the loyalty of his men. And what is the reaction as David hits rock bottom? What does David do? And this is the key verse of this morning's passage. All this has happened in and around him. And where does David turn? David found strength in the Lord his God. That's a great little verse to underline in your Bibles. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David found strength in the Lord his God. Where do we go when we're at the end of our resources? What do we rely on or who do we rely on when we get to rock bottom? Can we say that when we are in that place where nothing makes sense, where everything seems black, that we will find our strength in the Lord our God? In the end, it's the only place that you can really find strength, where you can really find hope. My strength comes from the Lord. This is the turning point for David's life. It will never be the same again. So what does David do next? He decides to put God in the driving seat. In the midst of his deepest disaster, David turns to God. And so he asks the priest who's descended from the high priest Eli, Abiathar, to bring the ephod that is uh, a... Uh, a cloak that the priest wears, and on it has Thurim and Purim, which some people think are like dice, or they're, uh, they're things that you roll and you decide which way God is going to go uh, through the rolling of these dice. And it sounds a bit random, but God's in the middle of it, and God works through it. And so David comes to Abiathar. He now gives up on his own ideas and decisions, and he comes to the Lord, and he says to the Lord... Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? And the answer is loud and clear. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David goes to God for his guidance. He finds his strength in God. He finds his guidance in God. And when he does that, he wins this amazing victory. He meets up with this Egyptian slave, as if by chance, but it can only be God at work, can't it? And the Egyptian slave leads him directly to where the raiders are camping. And they're reveling in their victory and they're not expecting a counterattack because they think that all the men have gone off to war. But David there defeats them and recovers everything that they had taken. All that they had taken plus more plunder. In the midst of the deepest disaster, David turns to God and by putting God in charge, David finds that everything is altered and his life is changed forever. Now, I want to offer you this morning a, a picture, a metaphor, that your life is a bit like a car, okay? And in this metaphor, it asks us to consider where God is in the car of your life, okay? And there are four options that we're going to think about, and we'll see where we think God is in our life. 
And the first place that God can be in the car of your life is stuck in the boot. That's not a good place, we'd probably all agree, agree for God to be. You don't usually put people in the boot, but some people treat God a bit like the stuff that we find in the boot. In the boot, you have your spare tire and the jack and a, perhaps an emergency triangle. And you go to the boot and get those out when you're in trouble, when you break down, when you're in need of help. You go to the boot and you find out what's in there. And you, and you get it out and you use it to get you to somewhere safe. For a while, we had a piece of rope in our boot. I'm not exactly sure why we had a piece of rope in our boot. It was yellow and green and it was quite long and it would have been useful. And we kept it in our boot because we thought if we get into trouble, it might just come in handy. And for some people, God is like that. They keep him in the boot. They know he's there. They might just get him out if they get into trouble. And so in the A&E departments and on the cancer wards, you hear people praying to God. And that's a good thing to do. It's nothing against that, but sometimes that's the only conversation people have had with God for quite a while. That's not the way to treat our creator, is it? So if God shouldn't be in the boot, if we're sort of agreed with that, he might be on the back seat and he might be offering us some advice that we may consider if it fits in with what we want to do. We all know about back seat drivers, don't we? That they're a bit of a pain really and sometimes for some people they let God into the back seat of their lives and he is a bit of a pain because he can tell them the things that they ought to be doing and the way that they should be going but they're completely ignoring him. They may have let him into their life but they're not going to listen to what he tells them. They're going to keep him at arm's length. They don't want him to be there to guide him. They might appreciate that he's there. But they say, we've got the, we've got the right ideas. We've let him into our car. But God has to realize that we're still in control. We don't want God as a backseat driver, do we? And so perhaps we might want God in the front seat, in the passenger seat. And in the passenger seat, you have someone who you usually talk to and you might get on with them and you might even let them control the fans and the heating. I sometimes let Debs control the fans and the heating in our car. They might change the channel or select a new playlist. They might do some things, but they're in the passenger seat, aren't they? You're still in control. There's still only one person with their hands on the wheel. You may be taking suggestions. They may, they may be your co-pilot. But you are the captain of your soul. David was a man who loves God. And there are moments in his life when he is fully committed to God's plans. He's confident of God's promises when he walks out to take on Goliath, isn't he? He knows that his only fear is a fear of the Lord. David knew he belonged to God and that God had given him gifts to enable him to win a great victory. David moves from being a solitary shepherd to being a, a feast at the king's table because God is with him. But perhaps this is the moment when David finally learns that he has to give the keys to God. 
He's at rock bottom and he's in a pit. He calls on the priest and he asks God to decide what to do next. He stops trying to do his best and now he gives God the place that he deserves. He decides to follow God's plans and not his own. And this is what we learn, that it's not about letting God into our life, but it's about discovering how we can get involved in his. It's not about God joining us on our journey, but us joining him on his journey. He longs to see his kingdom come. He longs to build his kingdom here amongst us. It's not about us letting him in, but him letting us in. To help him in this amazing adventure of bringing his life to earth, his love, his grace, his peace to those around us. But we all have control issues, don't we? We all like to be in control. Do you remember the key motto of the Brexit campaign? Let's take back control. Not going into the rights or wrongs of what happened then, but this is the reality that in, if, in reality, we do have little control over what happens in our lives. Bad things happen to good people all the time. We may not be raided by the Amalekites, but we all know how precarious and fragile life is. Even with the gadgets and the gizmos of our modern world, even with the life assurance and the insurance policies that we can buy. There's only one place that we can really find strength and security. Our strength comes from the Lord. Our relationship with God changes our perspective. If we give control to him, it sets us free to live in a new way. David struggled to give his life to God. David struggled to give up control. There were times when he was ready to do anything that God wanted. But there were other times when he took a disastrous wrong turning, when he grabbed hold of the wheel and followed his own desires. When I look back at my own life, I can see the places where I gave God control of my career, my future and my finances. He always led me to better places, to good places, to green pastures, to still waters. He is the Lord, my shepherd. He loves us and he longs to bless us. And he wants us to let him be in control of our lives. We still make the choices. We still have choices to make. It's not giving away all responsibility. We still have decisions that are really important. But the biggest decision is who's in control of your life. Is it me on the throne or is it Jesus on the throne? Jesus lived a life with God in control of his life. And it's the most amazing, important, significant life that has ever been lived. We have this choice. God gives us free will and he longs to bless us. He longs for us to know his love and his grace. That we can be confident in giving him control of our lives. So where is God in your life? Is he stuck in the boot? 
Is he relegated to the back seat? Is he moved up to the passenger seat? Or is he the one with his hands on the wheel? David found his strength in the Lord. And we can find our strength in the Lord. David went to God for the direction that he needed when he was in this desperate, disastrous place. We don't have to wait to get there before we seek God's direction for our lives. Let's make him the one who is in control. Let's give him the keys. Let him have his hands on the steering wheel. Let's let him determine our eternal destiny. Our strength comes from the Lord our God. Let's give him the glory. Let's pause and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this story of David's despair and distress. And Lord, as we see how David responded, we ask that you will be with each one of us to set us free from the control that we think we need to have in our own lives, to set us free to allow you to be in charge. Lord, help us to make that choice in each and every day, at each and every junction. May our turning points always be to follow your path for us. As individuals, as a church, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. For we know that our strength comes from the Lord. May that knowledge change us and transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.